Hello and welcome to the first recording of Podcast with the Pros. My name is Tegan Simonton. I am the Content and Graphics Coordinator for Forum, and I'm here with Steve Raddick, Vice President of Public Relations at Bruner. So, yeah, today we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, 84 Lumber ad. So mm-hmm. can you tell our listeners a little, bit, a little bit about what Bruner and what you are responsible for apart from that, just as a general rule? Well, thanks for having me here. I think... Uh, as the director of PR at an ad agency, my role is a little bit different than it would be at a typical PR agency where we might be just responsible for um, you know, media outreach, media relations, running press events, uh, you know, doing blogger outreach. We do a lot of that, but more so uh, we focus on the marketing campaigns that we're developing for our clients and how do we extend the life of them? How do we make sure that um, those marketing campaigns are true? to their brand and, and authentic and, and we help those clients um, tell those, those stories in a way that you know the media would be interested, that the general public would be interested, um, that influencers would be interested in and so we, our role is, is a little bit uh, kind of crossing over all of the paid, earned, owned social media, not just the, the earned part of it. And so there's, there's a little bit of a difference there in terms of how we work from a PR perspective at an ad agency versus at a traditional PR agency. So now with you personally, how are you involved with PRSA Pittsburgh? So I've been involved with PRSA and, and before that PRSSA for close to 20 years now. I was president of my PRSSA chapter when I was at Bethany College um, back in the early 2000s uh, and then uh, just stayed involved with PRSA in one form or fashion, maybe in some cases just as a member um, who didn't do much uh, other than uh, just kind of attending some local meetings. And over the years, I grew into wanting to take on more of a leadership role. And so when I was when I moved back from Chicago to Pittsburgh back in 2014, uh, they had an opening and they were looking for board members and I got involved there and I've been a VP and then president the last two years of PRSA Pittsburgh and uh, in those roles I, I kind of do a little bit of everything but you know basically kind of trying to take uh, and, and take the entire community of, of PR professionals here in Pittsburgh and bring them all together and kind of advance the the overall community not just you know uh, individuals. And do you see that as being, here in Pittsburgh, being different than maybe chapters in other cities? Yeah, I mean, I think it, what, what you're seeing in Pittsburgh is compared to some of the other cities I've been in, and I was in D.C. for nine years, and, and I was a member of PRSA there, and I was a member of PRSA in Chicago, and what you're seeing in, what you see in Pittsburgh is um, a much more diverse group of PR practitioners, where in, in D.C. you had a lot of political people, a lot of people involved in nonprofits, um, and it was a huge, massive chapter. Um, in Chicago, you had a lot of people in, in the ad industry, you know, doing PR as part of that because, you know, the ad industry is very strong in Chicago. In Pittsburgh, you've got people that are independent practitioners. You've got people doing PR and communications at um, the universities um, that we have here, the eds and meds, uh, you know, that you always hear about. Um, you've got UPMC and Highmark, and you've got people doing uh, PR there. You've got people in advertising, you know, working like we are in PR as part of PRSA. So you come to a PRSA meeting here in Pittsburgh, and you've got um, people from kind of all walks of life, people from, you know, just out of school to 40 years of experience, kind of all hanging out. And I think that's what makes it really cool about. Um, not only the PRSA Pittsburgh community, but just Pittsburgh in general, you get a lot of that wherever you go. So 
Thinking about the PR community in Pittsburgh, what sets Bruner apart from other ad agencies or PR agencies and stuff like that in this area? Well, I mean, it's it's. I'm not going to go and and you know disparage all of our our competitors here. <laughs> Obviously, I think you know Bruner's got something you know special, but. I think all of the agencies here in Pittsburgh have something special um, in that we, we look at everything that we do, whether it's Bruner or whether it's any of the agencies here, we're going to look at things very differently than you would if we were, you were, say, a New York agency or a Chicago agency. We're bringing a wholly different perspective um, that I think you see come out in the media all the time where you know we can speak to everyone, you know whether you're Rust Belt, Midwestern, or... Uh, or your, you know, New York City, D.C., uh, you know, L.A. type of person, we have to develop campaigns across the board. And, and I think you get a lot of interesting perspectives coming to Bruner um, or to any of the agencies in Pittsburgh that you wouldn't necessarily get in Chicago or D.C. or New York that are looking to um, maybe just create the big global kind of creative cool things, but maybe doesn't satisfy the business objectives that that uh, particular brand is looking to achieve. Whereas, you know, we're focused, we're still small enough that we're focused on those business objectives and, and can relate to our clients at a level that um, you, you're not going to get at a Chicago or New York because they're got teams of dozens and dozens of people, whereas we've got a kind of a smaller group here. And so if you come to Bruner, you come to Gatesman, you come to Smith Brothers, and you're in a pitch with these guys, you're not going to have the bait and switch of, well, now our senior guys are leaving, and now I'm going to get filled with a bunch of junior people. In the advantage of going through a, a Pittsburgh agency um, like Bruner is you see what you see is what you get. Um, and if I'm in a pitch, I'm going to be involved in that, that brand from start to finish. So I really like the idea like that you're sticking to whatever the company wants, like their own mission, their own values. So when we're looking at the 84 Lumber, the Super Bowl commercial, what was their goal with that? Like what, what values of theirs were they trying to showcase? So, I mean, I could talk about what we did with 84 Lumber for hours. And, and the fascinating thing about 84 was... We were, we were really a partner working with them from the very beginning. So from November, when we first started having these conversations with them, where Maggie, the, the president and owner of, of 84 Lumber, said, we want to be known across the country. We want, we want to attract the best and brightest people to come work at 84 Lumber. But to do that, we need people to know who we are. And we said, okay, well, the best way to do that, Super Bowl commercial. What if, what if you did something like that? And we knew that was bigger than anything they've ever done before. Um, but we, we had to throw it out there and, and start having that discussion and see where, where that was going to take us. How far do you go? How, what, what makes the most sense? And we had a lot of back and forth with them. And Maggie, to her credit, said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it big and I'm going to do it the right way. And I'm not going to try something little and, and kind of dip my toe in. I'm going to jump in. And that's what makes it super fun working with a client like 84 because it, once they commit to something, they're full bore on uh, and going for it. And so when we made the decision that um, we started looking into the ad um, in late November, early December, and when we found out we could do it, you know, she was all about it. And she said, whatever it takes, let's make sure that we do this, but not only that we do it, we do it better than everyone else. And make sure that we get on the map. And so that was their uh, kind of uh, marching orders to us as an agency was whatever we do, 
make sure that you do it and, and you make sure that people are talking about 84 Lumber, but it can't be fake. It's got to be real. And from a PR person's perspective, that was what we we're always trying to do is, is we always look at clients and, and more often than not, we're the ones kind of saying, I know you want to say that, that's, that's marketing language, but it's not, that's not real to you. Whereas in this case, we had a client who was saying, you know, this is who we are, go and tell that story to the world and do it in a way that gets people talking. And so that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So obviously the message that they chose to put out was a little bit controversial. So can you tell me how did that idea come about? Well, I think the best advertising, uh, whether you, you're at you know, the 1984 ad with Apple or the Joe Green ad with, with Coke or, or whatever ad that you want to point to over time, um, the best advertising always reflects kind of the, the reality and, and the environment that, that the country is in at the time. And in our brainstorming sessions, as we were thinking through how do we tell this story of uh, equality and inclusiveness that they wanted to tell about the people that they were trying to attract, we bounced a lot of ideas off the wall. And as we did that, and we, we kept coming back to the things that were in the news at the time. We kept coming back to, the, at the time, um, uh, President Trump had just been elected. Um, there was all of this discussion around immigration and healthcare and, and everything that the, the platform ran on, um, that he won on. And so it felt disingenuous not to address that. Like, you know, it's like this elephant in the room. And, and if we were going to go and say, you know, we're too scared to talk about that. Um, and it's too divisive. And we can't do that. It, it almost became a bigger elephant in the room than if we, if, than if we did talk about it. Because everyone's going to be saying, well, why, why wouldn't you talk about that? And, and to, again, to, to Maggie's credit, she said, Listen, this is what everyone in America is talking about, you know, at the dinner table, at the boardroom table. And for us to kind of just say, well, uh, it's too controversial for us, didn't seem right. And, and it didn't seem to fit in line with, with who 84 Lumber was, which was let's have an honest conversation about this. and Let's start this conversation because this impacts our business. And, and we need to have this because we're looking for people of, of all nationalities, races, genders, whatever it may be. And we can't have this artificial barrier blocking us. And so we said, okay, let's run headlong into it. And, and let's start thinking about what makes sense from an um, uh, overall environmental perspective to tell that story. And that's where that idea came through as well as, you know, a bunch of other ideas that we had. But that was the one that really kind of resonated with us internally as an agency and ultimately with the client um, as well. So then once you committed to this idea and then you faced some obstacles with it, obviously, how did you guide your client to keep going with it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's this misperception uh, a lot of times from a, from a PR perspective that, you know, we had all of this planned out. And this was all part of the plan that I was back there pulling some strings. Um, the reality was... There are so many days when we didn't know what the hell we were doing. Um, you know, we were going in and, and having discussions that, that things were being set out there and, and things were changing like that. Um, and, you know, every five minutes something else was changing and something else was being said. And so we couldn't have everything mapped out. And so a lot of what we did from a PR perspective when you're working a Super Bowl commercial like this is you've got to be super flexible and super adaptable. You've got your overall strategy. And we knew what we were doing at, an over, at a very high level. Um, 
But day to day, I mean, things were changing very quickly. And so what we had to do was we had to kind of adjust on the fly to um, what was being said and how do we, uh, you know, address those concerns? How do we answer those questions? How do we equip our people with the key messages? Because they're, you know, sharing on Facebook and talking with people on, on Twitter and social media, and they're wanting to know how to respond to these questions. And so we're having to kind of uh, develop all of that in real time. And to her credit, uh, you know, they never wavered. Never one time did they come back and say, you know, I don't know if we want to go forward with this. This is getting way too controversial for us. Um, their only marching orders to us throughout the entire time was, I want this story told, and I want to do whatever it takes to tell that story. And and so our with with that clear goal in mind, it was it was almost easier to adjust in in real time because we knew the end game wasn't changing. Mm -hmm. We always knew what our, our uh, the finish line was, and so changing in how we got there, it it didn't matter as much. So uh, I like what you said about like we didn't really know what we were doing either because I mean I feel that way most of the time. About <laughs> life. Um, so what would you say would be like the biggest lesson or takeaway that you got from this whole experience? The biggest lesson is don't try to believe that you know what you're doing all the time. I mean, I've been in this business for 15 years, and I, I like to think that I know a little bit about PR. Um, but at the same time, I'm not afraid to admit that uh, you know there are many times when I and I don't when I don't know. And I think being able to adjust and adapt on the fly is the biggest lesson that that I learned was. I could have sat there and come up with strategies upon strategies upon strategies and, and developed 50, 60, 70 slide decks um, detailing what we were going to do and how everything was going to happen. But the minute something changes, the minute Fox bans your ad and says you can't go out with it, um, if you don't know how to throw away everything that you did and come up with something on the fly and go forward, you're dead in the water. And so the, the biggest lesson for me is to always stay adaptable and flexible and, and agile to what the situation at that time dictates and never forget what your end goal is. And, and remember, I'm there to represent that brand and help that brand tell that story. And there's going to be shifts and turns along the way. But if, as long as you keep that end goal in mind, um, everything else will come a little bit easier. And knowing that we're always going to be marching towards that, that same you know, end point, um, how we get there, that's going to change, but it's also the fun part. And, and that's kind of why I'm still in PR after all these years is because no matter how well you plan, something's going to happen and you're going to have to shift up your strategy, you know, the, the very next day. So what would you say would be like the most rewarding part of this experience, having overcome all those obstacles? When I look back at, I mean, there, there was so many things happened over those eight weeks or so um, that I look back on, I'm like, wow, you know, look, that, that was a great story that, that we were able to tell. Um, and we had some great experiences. But the, when I look back, and I have to pick kind of the, the one thing that, that I'm going to remember, I think it was on the fact that we had this brand no one really knew outside of southwestern Pennsylvania. Um, and they have a great story to tell about who they are, and, and what their culture's like. And, and when we met and interviewed dozens and dozens of employees in preparation for, the, for this ad launch to find out, is, this, is, is what they're saying really real? Is this how they really act? We were blown away that everyone sang the same tune. Everyone really enjoyed working there. Everyone um, kind of 
almost as if they were reading from a script, but they weren't. They were just truly passionate about the brand and what the brand did for them in their lives. And for us to be able to translate that feeling and that culture into something that was seen across the entire world and, and have it be true. You know, we, we didn't come out with, you know, marketing jargon and, and buzzwords and everything about by our products. We were able to translate kind of the culture of a company through advertising and, and PR efforts over the span of, of two months into something that hundreds of millions of people saw and has drastically changed kind of the, the, the trajectory of this company and where it's going. So, and, and that's something that, you know, not many people get to put on their resume. Not many people get to say they've done. And, you know, I think that's, that's what I'm going to look back on and say, no matter what happens in the next 20 years of my career, I get to point back, point back to this and say, I was part of something really big there. Yeah, so this experience is clearly, it's very unique to, to an agency kind of situation. So what can, do you have any advice for like current public relations students and ex aspiring professionals who want to get into an agency situation? Um, I would go back to the flexibility. Um, be good at a lot of different things. I think that in those sorts of environments, I think we, we definitely need... Um, a lot of people who are very deep, deeply skilled in analytics or in just media relations or just in writing. Um, but at the end of the day, it's PR. And, and we might have our scopes of work and our strategies in place and, and all of that. But at the end of the day, things are going to change. And the people that know all of those, know enough about all of those things, uh, I always say to my team, I say, know enough about everything that we do know enough about paid media, know enough about search, know enough about creative, know enough about media relations to get through a meeting. To get to make it seem to whoever you're talking to at that point in time that they believe you know what the hell it is that you're talking about. Afterward, you can go find the people that know much more about that topic and, and can get you, you know, all of the information, all of the strategies that you need. But get through that meeting where they say, wow, Steve really knew, knew what he was talking about and had some really good thoughts on search. I'll be the first to say I'm not a search expert, but I know enough to get through a meeting and to then hand it off to my search guys. So I think that the key is to know enough about a lot of different things to get through that meeting so that when you're talking with an interviewer, with someone who might hire you into an agency, or with a client, that you can show them, listen, I'm in to support you and, and help you. I'm not just here to do my writing or to do my media relations. I'm here to do whatever it takes to help you tell your story. And, and I think that it gets a lot of respect and that flexibility is what will get you a, a job in the agency and will help keep you going and keep you sane in an agency environment. That part's important too. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of by the same token, why would you encourage students to join PRSSA and then transition into PRSA? So the biggest lesson that I learned when I was in PRSSA was I think being able to interact with people from all of those different areas of PR. And, and not so much even within the chapter itself. Um, because at Bethany, we, everyone was kind of cut from the same cloth. Everyone was basically a PR major. Everyone was, was looking to try and do the same basic thing. But we always went to the PRSSA national conference, or international conference, I guess. Um, and seeing the PRSA members, networking with those guys, um, 
seeing the other members of PRSSA at bigger chapters, at smaller chapters. And just and that was when I first was exposed to the vast diversity of what PR meant. Um, and, and I still don't even know what, what really PR is in terms of how you would define it and say, well, you're a PR person. Because advertising people work in PR, marketing people are in PR, and vice versa. Um, so I think maintaining that connection to, to PRSSA as a student and then into PRSA once you've graduated and once you're into the workforce helps you understand when you say PR, I might be talking about one thing, but that client may think of something drastically different. That person at that happy hour that you met may be doing something drastically different than you are. And it, it helps guard against you getting sucked into, well, PR is media outreach or PR is events. Maybe it is to you, but to that other chapter, to those other people that you met at that international conference, it means something very different. And, and I think that's my biggest uh, kind of uh, you know, uh, elevator pitch to join PRSSA and, and PRSA. Thank you for sharing with us today, Steve. Your advice will be very beneficial for students. Um, and to our listeners, be sure to check out Steve at PRSA Icon in Boston this October. Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of Podcasts with the Pros.